So if you would, if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, open to Acts chapter 4. Some of you from last week may be remembering that this is how we started last week as well, in Acts chapter 4. And you're going to find out that we're going to read the same verses as we did last week too. Acts chapter 4. I'm going to begin in verse 1. Read down to 13. And again, the context of the passage is Peter and John after the resurrection, ascension of Christ, after Pentecost, the giving of the Holy Spirit, after Peter's first sermon after Pentecost, the 3,000 souls were added to the church. And then we have Peter and John heal a lame beggar, and they get in trouble for it. And that's where we pick up in chapter 4, verse 1. Here's the word of the Lord. And as they were speaking to the people, the priest and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them, Peter and John, and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word that was preached believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. So we now have 5,000 who had heard and believed. Verse 5, On the next day their rulers and elders and the scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Ananias the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, that would be Peter and John, they inquired, By what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. I'm going to read that again. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Verse 13. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. Why? They recognized that they had been with Jesus. A quick prayer. Father, would you take your word, enlighten our hearts, would you give us eyes to see, ears to hear, would you give us hearts to be obedient to your word, would you make Christ 
more greatly treasured within our hearts. And it's in His name we pray. Amen. In 1956, that was a while back, 1956, um, five men and their families, uh, one of them you might have heard of, his name was Jim Elliott, uh, went to Ecuador with the intention of witnessing to, to evangelizing, a very, very dangerous, unreached people group. Jim had, at a young age, in his teenage years, had realized that his calling was to live for Christ. And Jim is well known for saying this statement, or excuse me, writing it in his journal when he was in college, already knowing he was going to be a missionary, he wrote... He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. At that young age, Jim was ready to give his life for the sake of Christ and the kingdom of God. So Jim and his four uh, partners and their families set off to Ecuador, spent much time learning not just Spanish, but also the native language of the tribe that they had told to leave because the tribes around them just basically said, don't go there, they're, they're crazy, they'll kill you. That was a paraphrase, but that was their warning. But they persisted and insisted, and they made contact with that tribe and... Uh, actually, through flying over, uh, were able to give gifts, to shout through bullhorns in the native language that they were friendly, and they ended up reaching and making contact with that native tribe. Well, for us, we've stepped away from Hebrews for a time being, uh, an unknown time, and we've looked at, we started last week with the idea of what it looks like for someone to recognize that you have been with Jesus. What does it look like when someone recognizes that you have been with Jesus? And I gave us three words, three characteristics of someone who has been with Jesus, and we looked at one of them, but those three were love for Christ, to live for Christ, and to long for Christ. And last week we looked at what it meant to love Christ. That Christ would be our greatest treasure. That He would be something we would sell all that we have for in order to gain. And we took the sober reminder from Paul to the Corinthians when he wrote... These terrifying words. And said, if anyone has no love for the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be accursed. Let him be damned. If you have been with Christ, if you are a disciple of Christ, if you have been born anew by the Spirit of God, you love Christ. He is your greatest treasure. 
indeed. But today I want to move from loving Christ to living for Christ. And man, these are so similar. They're so closely attached. And you'll see why as we move forward. But today I want to, hopefully, by the power of the Word of God and the work of the Spirit, to convince you that within the Scriptures, that it is clear that if you are a Christian, as a Christian, Christ is your life. And therefore, you must live for Him. Christ, Christian, is your life, and you must live for Him. Now, if we get to the conclusion of this, and this is not your reality, it is my hope and prayer that it become your reality. And so this is an encouragement to you, Christian, and even to you, unbeliever. What do I mean when I say, Christ is your life? You must live for Him. Well, we probably heard it said, either in person, on TV, in movies, whatever it might be. Uh, other examples would people say, my kids are my life. I live for my kids. Or we've heard someone say, I love what I do. I live for my job. I wake up every morning ready to go to work because I live for being whatever. Or maybe you've heard it from an athlete who says, baseball is my life. I love it. I live for it. I, I eat, sleep, and breathe baseball. That's what I'm talking about. When I say, as a Christian, Christ is your life. When I say, you must live for Christ. That's what I mean. Now, what does that look like? How does someone do that? Well, I think three ways stand out when someone lives for something. Number one, we talked about it last week. They love it. Number two, all their attention is upon it. Number three, they will sacrifice for it. I love my kids. They're my life. I give them all my focus and attention. I will do anything for them. That's what we're talking about. As a Christian, Christ is our life. Notice I'm not saying must be. I'm saying is. If you are a Christian, it is True that Christ is your life. Therefore you must live for him. So as a Christian. Here's what I suggest. That your love. Your attention. And your sacrifice. Would be constantly directed towards Jesus. Const That's what it means to live for Christ. Well why? Why? And this is really the first thing we're going to get into. Why is Christ a Christian's life? Why must a Christian live for Christ? Well, what is the motivating factor for you to live for your kids? It's because you love your kids. What is the motivating factor to live for a baseball? Well, it's because you love 
baseball. Your desire to make Christ the focus of your life, the center of your life, will go only as far as you love Him. Going back to last week. If you desire to live for Christ, if you do not love Him, or you put love of father, mother, brother, self over Christ, you will live for father, mother, brother, self. To live for the sake of Christ, you must love Christ above all things, which we spoke of last week. But your love for Christ can only go so far as your understanding of the gospel. Your love for Christ, therefore your living for Christ, can only go as far as your understanding of the gospel. Why? What if someone asked you, listen, I know you're I know you go to church. I know you know you say you're a Christian. And I, I, I've heard this word gospel. What, what does it mean? Help me understand what you believe. Help me, what is the gospel? If someone asked you that question, what would you say? Would you know what to say? Could you explain to someone who is curious about the gospel what the gospel is? If you could not answer that question, felt uncertain about that question, then I would suggest that your love of Christ might be in question. And it would go without saying that if you are uncertain about what the gospel is, and I don't mean that you're a nervous person and have trouble talking I mean, when you say, someone says to you, what is the gospel, you go blank. You have nothing to give them. Here, here's an example. Someone says, baseball is my life. So it's summer, baseball is my go-to. So baseball is my life. And you ask them, why? Why is baseball your life? And their response is always, because I love it. Right? I love it. And you say, why do you love it? And then this is how they would answer. They would answer by explaining to you what they know about the game of baseball. They would say, I love the smell of the dirt. I love the feel of the grass. I love the crack of the bat. I love the gamesmanship between the coaches, the sacrifice bunt, the 6-4-3 double play. I love everything about the game of baseball. They love the game of baseball because they know the game of baseball. Well, what do you think about rugby? could care less about rugby. Well, what do you know about it? I have no idea. You see, you cannot love something that you do not know. But the more you know, the more you love. And the more you love it, the more you want to live for it. So, let me ask you, each and every one of you, 
Can you tell me why you love Jesus? Can you tell me why you love Jesus? What is it about him that brings you to church today? What is it about Christ that makes you want to open up your Bible? What is it about Christ that says, I'm willing to put myself out? I'm with, what is it about Christ that you find lovely? Now, self-examination. In your heart, are you saying, um, I wish I had something. If I asked you about your kids, you could probably give me an answer, right? If I asked you about that 1967 Mustang you've wanted for so long, you could tell me all about it. You could even tell me all the lovely things about your spouse. What about Jesus, the Son of God, who loved you and gave himself for you? What do you love about him? If you ask Paul, if you ask Paul, he would answer you this way. He would say, The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came in the world to save sinners. But if he stopped there, if he stopped there, we would have a hard time understanding Paul. If he said he just loved Jesus because Jesus came into the world to save sinners, I would have a hard time understanding why Paul would go into city after city, getting beaten after beaten, getting stoned, going back into more cities, being persecuted, being snake bitten, being shipwrecked, being hated, being despised, ultimately being killed because Christ came to the world to save sinners. That's not what Paul would answer. He would say, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus did come into the world to save sinners. And then he would say, and I am the worst. He came to save my sin. He came because I'm a rebel. He came for me. I am the chief, the foremost, the greatest sinner. And Christ, the Son of God, gave Himself for me. God showed His love for me that while I was still a sinner, an enemy, Christ died for me. Can you say that? This is the Gospel. This is the good news of Jesus Christ. The good news of Jesus Christ starts with bad news. And you know what? And as we take... Jenna into the waters today. We're going to ask her, and I've already asked her, do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God who came into this world to be a man to die for your sins? And her answer is yes. And she is confessing 
Jesus as her Savior and as her Lord today. Why would you live for Christ? Because you love Him. Why do you love Him? Because of the gospel. Because of who He is and what He's done. Turn with me, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Beginning in verse 9. You know when you take a test at school, the teacher never gives you the answers, right? I'm giving you the answers of why you ought to love Jesus. First Corinthians chapter six, starting in verse nine. So let me just make this clear. Just because you know the answers doesn't mean you love Jesus. Hear these words. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Here's the problem. None is righteous. No, not one. None of you, including myself, walked into this church today saying, God loves me because I'm good. No one could ever say that except one man, Jesus of Nazareth. And none is righteous. No, not one. So no one on their own merit will inherit the kingdom of God. Do not be deceived, he said. He gives us some detail. Neither the sexual immoral, nor the idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindles will inherit the kingdom of God. And you say, well, that's not me. And that's what the people of Corinth were saying too. Paul reminds them in verse 11, and he says, And such were some of you. And such were some of you left out of the kingdom, condemned in your sin. He says, But, but you were washed. He didn't say you were changed or you changed, or you worked harder, or you did something better. No, he says something happened to you. He said you were washed, meaning you were washed by someone else. You were sanctified by someone else. You were justified by someone else. What does he mean? Well, being dirty in your sin, you were washed by the shed blood of Christ and the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. Being like the world, you were set apart, sanctified, made holy by the righteousness of Christ. Being guilty and condemned, you were justified and declared innocent before God. But such were some of you. Sexually immoral, idolaters, adulterers, homosexuality, thieves, greedy, drunkards, revilers, swindlers. Not anymore. 
That is not who you are anymore. Because of the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. This is why we ought to live for Christ. Because you love Him. And why do you love Him? Because of His gospel. I was blind, but because of Jesus I see. I was lost, but because of Jesus I am found. I was a sinner, condemned enemy of God, but because of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, I am a child of God. Now again, I've just given you the answers. I've given you the answers. The question is, is do you actually believe them? Not know them, but believe them. The promise of God, though, the promise of the Scriptures, is that you can be a child of God. You can be given sight. You can be found. You can be turned from a sinner, from an enemy, by running to Christ, fleeing to Him, finding refuge in Him, finding shelter from the storm of the wrath of God. Call out to Him for forgiveness and mercy, and He will give it to you. And you will love Him. And you will live for Him. Because you will have Him as your greatest treasure. Now all that was to say why you ought to live for Him. There's one more thing Paul says in this passage. Look down at verse 19. And I'll just give this one to you quickly. Now there's a a large context here, but the principle of verse verse 19 and 20 remains and can be very helpful for us here. Why ought you why ought you to live for Christ? Well verse 19 says, "Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are your own. You bought yourself." That is not what it says. It says you are not your own. You are not your own but belong to God for you were bought with a price now you might think ain't nobody own me have mercy on your soul the most precious thing that you can have is to be a slave to Jesus Christ to be his servant To be set free from the bondage of sin and live for the sake of Jesus Christ and His righteousness. You see, as a Christian, you are indebted to God because of your sin. And do you know the price that you have to pay for that? Your life. Your eternal soul. But the Gospel says that Christ issued payment. That He paid for your debt by his death and in purchasing your debt thanks be to God you belong to him and I'll tell you as you live this life and you approach death the only hope that you have is that you belong to God in Christ Jesus that's the only hope you have so I I finish With one more thing. How do you do it? 
How do you live for Christ? Flip over back to Colossians 3, what we read earlier. Colossians chapter 3. And I'm going to try to give you as succinct words I can give you from this passage to give you a template to live by. A template to help you go back into Colossians 3 and to read over and over again to know how you ought to live for Christ. And if you don't care, have mercy on your soul. Colossians chapter 3. So I'm not going to read it. But I want us to peek down at verse 3 and 4 before we read how we ought to live for Christ. And I want you to see something in the middle of this first paragraph. Christian. Verse 3. For you have died. And your life, your life, believer, is hidden. I mean, it can't be found because it's hidden in Christ. It's hidden with Jesus Christ in God. Verse 4 is a very clear statement. When Christ, who is your life? It's not, if you have been raised with Christ, uh, Christ might be your life. If you are a Christian... Christ is your life. Now, how do you live for Him? Well, remember I said love, attention, and sacrifice. You kind of see that through this chapter here. But let me just give you some words to jot down for you to go back to and read through in this section. I'm telling you how to live for Christ. Number one, seek and set. Seek and set. What are we seeking? Christ. What are we setting? Our attention on Him. Seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on things that are on earth. Seek Him where He is. He's not in this world. The prince of the power of the air is working in this world. He is in the heavenly places. Well, how do I get to the heavenly places? Open up your word and get on your knees. And you will be seeking the heavenlies. Seek and set your attention to the heavens. The verse that changed my life, write it down, we're not going to it. Matthew 6.33 you wake up in the morning, say this verse. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and everything else will take care of itself. I paraphrase the last part, but that's the point. Seek first the kingdom of God. Okay, number two. Put off. Put off, put off, put off. If we're not seeking the earthly... We're seeking the heavenly. Put off the earthly. Right? Get rid of it. You're like, what's the earthly? Well, look at verses 5, 6, and 7. 
sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil, uh, covetousness, idolatry, anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk with your mouth. And you're like, well, Luke, you're just making me a legalist. You're just trying to make me some holy goody two-shoe. I'm trying to make you like Christ because that's his intention is to make you like him so he could be glorified and you're becoming like him. And you cannot be like Christ if you are dwelling on sexual immoral things, impurities, passions, evil desires, covetousness, if you are angry with your wife, if you are angry with your kids, if you show your wrath at your neighbor, you have malice and slander towards your brother or sister in Christ, if you have obscene talk coming from your mouth, you are becoming less like Christ and more like your father, the devil. Put off the earthly things, believer. Kill sin before it kills you, right? Seek and set. Put off the earthly. Number three, you take off the dirty, what do you do? You put on the new. You put on the clean. Put on the new self. And having put... Let's start at nine. Do not lie to one another. There's another one. Seeing that you have put off the old self. It's not an option, Christian. It's not an option, if you have no desire to put off your old self, you, your desire, and Jesus' desire for your life does not match up. Put it off. Ten, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Put on your new self and become like Christ. Holy and acceptable and blameless before God. Now, you say, what does that mean? Verse 12 through 17 basically lays out, we'll just read 12 and 13. So you take off all that earthly stuff. You put on as chosen ones, holy and loved by God. Here's what you put on. Compassionate hearts. You want to live for Christ? Be compassionate. Kindness. Humility. Or as Philippians 2 would say, counting others more significant than yourself. Meekness. Not manliness. Manliness is Christ-likeness. Standing firm and strong in the Word of God by the Spirit of God is manly. Patience. Patience, Mom. Patience, Dad. Patience with your co-workers. Patience with your brothers and sisters in Christ. Verse 13, bearing with one another. And if anyone has a complaint against one another, forgiving each other. Just remember, as the Lord has forgiven you, you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love. You want to live for Christ? Love. 
which binds everything together in perfect harmony. That's the put on. Number four, be thankful. That one's so easy to forget. Be thankful. Nothing is yours. Everything you have has been given. Be thankful for the Lord's provision. And Paul would even say, be thankful for your suffering. Because as a Christian whose Christ is life, as you suffer, you become more like Christ. So be thankful for your suffering, Christian. And suffer well in thanksgiving. So be thankful is number four. And number five, this one's a little bit longer. I couldn't shorten it down. Let the word of let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. You cannot say you love or live for Christ. If you do not love his law, if you do not love his commandments, if you do not love his word. When you do all these things, look what verse 17 says. When you seek and set, when you put off and put on. When you live thankfully, when you let the word dwell in, of Christ dwell in you richly, 17 becomes much easier. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. There's no exception in that verse. There's no exception. Whatever you do. What is that? That's live for Christ. You think your marriage is just your marriage? No. It's a way to glorify Jesus Christ. Do you think how you raise your kids is just so that you're not annoyed all the time by how your kids? No, it's so that you can glorify Christ in how you raise your kids. Do you think what how you go to work and how you participate with your employees or your employer or how you spend your money, that that's just things that you do? No, you do all of it for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you do it by beginning at verse 1 and coming all the way down. You cannot do anything for the Lord Jesus Christ without those five things. And you cannot do that without faith, trusting, and depending on Him and His shed blood. The second time that Jim Elliott and his partners landed with the tribe and were expecting a larger crowd and had great expectation of what would happen next, within moments, were speared to death. They all died. 
If you look to save your life, you will lose it. But if you look to lose your life for the sake of Christ, you gain it. Now you think, well, that wasn't a very successful mission trip. No, it wasn't. But they were obedient. They were obedient to the call. They lived a life worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They live a life worthy of the call to holiness and righteousness. But you know what? Their wives didn't give up. Their wives went back. And to this day, that tribe of people see the Elliot family and all of the uh, the wives and the children as brothers and sisters in Christ. They took the gospel to a dangerous, unknown people group willing to lose their lives for the sake of the glory of Christ. Regardless of the outcome, God was glorified. So, I ask you again, do you love Christ? Do you understand what He has done? And if you do, and if you have, live for Him. Live for Him. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. So, this... This morning we we get to baptize into the body another sister. She's making her profession that she knows what Christ has done for her. And we are, are, are accepting her confession and saying you are one of us because you are in Christ. And so here in a moment we're going to go outside and we're going to baptize Jenna. And then after that... For all who have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ and have been baptized into His body, we ask you to partake of the Lord's Supper with us that we as one can declare the death of Christ together. So with that, let me pray and also say that if you have any questions about the gospel of Jesus Christ, that you come and talk to me. If you have any questions about what it means to live for Christ, You come and talk to me. If the Lord is pressing upon you the sin and your rebellion and calling on you to turn, flee to Jesus and find refuge in Him. Let's pray. God, we know that even when we are faithless, You are faithful. And we know that Your Word does not return void. So we trust in You. And we trust in Your Word. Keep us remembering that we fade like the flower. That we have no glory within ourselves. But You, Your Word, and Your Son live forever. 
And we give thanks for the eternal life that we have founded in Jesus Christ and in Him alone. It's in His name we pray. Give thanks to the Lord Jesus. Amen. Alright, so as we go out, I want us to go out and to gather around that stock tank as a body of Christ. Not scattered here, not scattered there, but come together in the unity of the Lord Jesus Christ and and see the public confession of our sister in Christ and then partake of the Lord's Supper together. And then after that, we will close with a benediction and one hymn. Okay, so let's all stand and make our way out to the water.